your organization's manifesto is that a borderless world brings intoxicating new liberties, but it clashes with the human need for a common life. We embrace the new nationalism insofar as it stands against the utopian ideal of a borderless world. So this return into nationalism, borders, uh, build a wall, uh, you know, all of that. Now I have some, I have some uh, ideas here. Uh, first of all, I want you to know that the idea of the West, that there is this thing called the Western civilization, is a recent construction. Uh, the West was, there was no such thing as the rest, West before Christ's time when there was a Roman, you know, they, the Romans were called the Occidental and the Greeks were their enemies, they were called Oriental. The Orient meant Greece and the Romans finally conquered and took over Greece and there was an amalgam which is often called Greco-Roman culture. The Romans had the military, the engineering, roads and all that and the Greeks had philosophy and music. And the Romans were very unabashed about their desire to take in yes. Greek literary culture. Right. It was not something where they said, oh, we've got our own great culture. No, they're right. very <laughs> honest right. about their indebtedness to the right. Greeks. Absolutely. And so they created this Greco-Roman thing. Uh, so it's a synthesis. It's not like something that started uniformly on its own. And then comes a few centuries after uh, uh, Christ comes, uh, uh, you know, Const uh, Constantine and then the New Testament is created. And so now they digest this Greco-Roman unity now brings in Christianity. It starts long before Constantine. I mean, you've got St. Paul, St. Paul and, no, there and was, all the early church is going around preaching this. And, yes. you know, it's, it's in Greek from the beginning. Certainly there was a church, early church. There was an early Christian church. But Constantine consolidated it into the New Testament and made it part of Roman I, I would Empire. contest that, that aspect of it because the, the New Testament canon, for example, you read, you read some of the early church fathers and they're already quoting sort yes. of the New Testament. As it exists, it, called the New Testament, is a compilation of Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea. Well, it's actually, so in 384, I think it's the Council of Carthage. Before 384. Yeah, the Council of Nicaea, which, which condemns Arianism and yes. declares that Christ is, is uh, God and man and right. not, not just a man as, right. the, as the Arians And the Nicene Creed, which is standard in Christianity, is a product of that. Yeah. So my point is that uh, the Roman, Greco, Greek Roman civilizational unity that they brought together then goes the next step and brings in Christianity. Sure. Until then, Christianity is not part of the Greco Roman culture. At least not in, in a majoritarian way. Well, I'm talking about the, the Greek or Roman, the, Greek, the Romans invaded and conquered the Greek before Christ. So obviously there was a Greek or Roman culture right, before right. there I could have been Christianity as a part of it. There's but let me, let me just give an example. So if you go to St. Peter's in Rome, for example, you see frescoes from, from Christian graves that are believed to be from, I think, what, the second or, or the third century. So this is an, an aspect of Christians um, being part of the Greco-Roman culture yes. before, before Constancy. So it's not, it's not like there's a black and white overnight change. There is a black and white birth of Jesus. That's a hard date. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I'm saying that before Christ, there is a synthesis of Rome and Greece, where Rome is the aggressor, invades Greece, takes it over, digests Greeks. And this is <laughs> I mean, the Greco-Roman culture. You know, I, I would, uh, is, is there a reason why you want to have this emphasis on the aggression because, aspect of because, it? Because it is military wars. There are wars. 
So then comes Christianity and early Rome has a lot of militancy against Christianity. Yes, they, after yes. all, they crucified Jesus. Sure, sure. So it's not peaceful, all loving, chubbing. The Rome, Romans were a martial people. Rome, for sure. yeah. Absolutely. Rome's, Rome de defeats and, Greece, uh, and digests Greece. Then this unity then has Christianity brought in. The thing is, I'm not sure I would talk about digestion this quickly because one, one of the things you see, for example, is that the church fathers, even in you know, the 4th, 5th century, are still going to Greece. Digestion means you go and you bring in what you need. Well, you, you know, you, but you haven't eaten something because it's still alive, yes. right? But Augustine, Augustine is somebody who brings in Greek thought to create theology. He's considered one of the church fathers and he's a saint. Uh, he was, he was a North African. I don't even know that Augustine knew Greek. No, no, but I'm saying he brought in Greek thought. You look at Augustine. Platonic, Platonic thought, sure. He was in, well, he was, First influenced by Manichaean thought, yes. by, by all sorts of you know, Neoplatonic things yes. that were going on yes. before coming back to, to his Catholic faith. So he brings, in, he brings in Hellenistic traditions into the Bible to interpret the Bible because the Bible it, has no philosophy. It goes on earlier than that. If you look at Justin Martyr, for example, one, yes. of, the, one of the early church uh, apologists, he, he was a convert from Platonism, right. for example. He, he was a real follower of the philosophical schools and then encountered Christianity. And I think it's as early as 157, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, some of his dialogues, he's talking about Christianity as the true philosophy. Christian theology is a product of the Bible, the story of Jesus and the various uh, gospels, combined with a pagan philosophy because the Greeks were pagans. So the pagans had to be removed because their religion is no good, but their philosophy is brought in. Whoever brought in, whenever they brought in, it's thanks to Greek philosophy that there is theology. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, when, when we have this sort of very, very uh, uh, sort of sliced and defined idea of we, we take in Greek philosophy and we throw out the paganism, I, I think that that doesn't do justice okay. to the actual situation because the, the Christians were reading the pagan authors for centuries. But what happened um, eventually? With continuity. But what happened with this whole uh, hatred for paganism, which is also in your, in your work, in your website, this anti-paganism, uh, says, okay, digestion means I don't like the pagan in you, but I like your philosophy. I'll take this and I'll reject that. That's, that's where I qualify. Well, I, I, would, I would say it's, it's more a question of, we deal in the question of philosophical truth and okay. we accept those truths which are true in a culture and, and reject can those accept that are not. those that are not. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... So, so the, that's fair. The, the approach of Christian theology is that philosophy is truth just as mathematical fact is truth. So if someone says two plus two equals five, just as we can't accept that on the mathematical level, we can't accept a philosophical error on the theological level. So it's not Fair a enough. question of rejecting anything good. I think digestion means whatever fits in the predator's DNA, his digestive system, he'll well, take but it. So whatever doesn't, he'll excrete it. I would contest that because the, the point of philosophy is to get at truth. Right. And so using the image of a predator, there are separately evolved and created cultures. They are separate. Greek is separate, Rome is separate, and the Semitic culture in, uh, in the, in the, you know, from where the Bible comes is separate. And they come, they come to mix. They come to mix with a lot of violence and there is somebody in control of others. Because you look at the story of Jesus, after all, is not some kind of a happy dance. It is not like, you know, we're coming together and we are theologians. <laughs> we're, putting the, we're putting the best of everything together. You know what? You know, you're a nice guy, but we'll kill you and we'll take your ideas. It's not so simple. The Romans were very aggressive people 
very violent people and they not only took apart Greek culture, Greek civilization, but also a lot of Christianity was, was uh, uh, oppressed for the first few hundred years. I would rather frame it this way, that you know, there, there is something to be said about the fact that the Romans accepted Christianity and through that came to abolish things like the gladiatorial games. Then these three, Rome, Greece, uh, Christianity combined, moved north to take over the pagans. I wouldn't uh, describe it as takeover because you should read some of the accounts of the missionaries who went into Germany, England, Scotland. These were guys who were putting their lives on the line. They were monks. But they burnt, they burnt at the stake. They burnt people who were considered pagans, heretics, the whole... Uh, the whole uh, well, so be specific though, where, where are some instances that you're discussing? Joan we need, of Arc. We need to look at, at uh, certain situations Joan historically. Of Arc. Uh, you, you, the history of uh, Christianity versus paganism is very well documented. I mean, there's not. But, but Joan of Arc wasn't a pagan. No, but she was. She was burnt at the stake. Because that was in was the context of war between between, frankly, two Christian nations, which, no, but, which but makes it, which makes it in some ways. Uh, a Christian wouldn't justify today burning somebody else who is a Christian. You wouldn't do that. No, no. There is that alienation that these are others. Something else can be done to them. No, and it she refused to. She no, no, because she was a very defiant person. If you look at the way the pagans were treated in Europe. I mean, the whole Wicca, the, you, you go to some Wicca people here in New Jersey or in New York. The Wicca people are reviving the pre-Christian faiths of Europe because they say that this is originally who we, the Europeans, were mm -hmm. until the Christians came. So actually the Wicca, Wicca have a story to tell. So they should, they should take up that argument not with, not with the Christians but with their ancestors who accepted uh, the Christian faith Absolutely. and asked why, why they accepted that and why, why they thought the gospel was, was, was worthwhile to receive. Uh, we agree that the modern West and Christianity are an amalgam, in, amalgam of many things coming together. Of course. Uh, we, we agree that they did it because it would benefit them. After all, they have simulated things that would benefit them. But what we call the West is often actually conflicting things that people have wished wouldn't be part That's of That's the point it, I'm right? getting So at. France and the Habsburg Empire, I would consider both part of the Western tradition, but there were there are periods where they, they saw their interests as clashing. So it's not just a question of taking in things because they benefit us, it's taking in things because of a recognition that we share a common history, a common culture, a common bond. And, and it is not as bad as you are, as bad as I'm making it out and maybe not as good as you're making it out, but it's a, there is violence, there is some violence, we may disagree on the numbers. Uh, the numbers I've read, I can happily show, share with you on witches killed and all the, all the inquisition against you know, heathens and so on was pretty harsh. And you may say that it was not that bad, but there was, there was, there was just like there was the Goa Inquisition, there were these inquisitions in all the continents where Christians went. And this Christian... There's no, there's no point in denying uh, when mistakes have been made in history or Absolutely. bad things have been done, but I, I just don't think that, I think we do a disservice to our common project of wanting to build up our respective cultural traditions, no, Sanskriti and Latin Christendom, if we if we characterize things as defined by violence. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't want to approach Indian culture and say, oh, look at this. This is an example that Indian culture is defined by violence. The idea of the West is therefore elastic. That's the point I'm trying to make. That if the West can assimilate A, B, C, D, it can also assimilate E, F, and G. That if the history of the West is, it's a composite uh, of various things that it has taken over from here and there, it has brought them together. Well, again, I would, I would contest taken over. But it is taken over. I mean, the, the conquistadors came and they took over the, the, the cultures of the Americans. It was not an equal deal. I mean, come on. And so the thing I would point out about that situation is how different the goals of the church were, for example. Um, the Catholic heritage is very different from the heritage of crowns 
that were in search of plunder, for yes. example, and in search of bullion. And, but and they so did forth. it in the name of God. And there is they a doctrine did, but of many, many people do very bad things in the name of God. Yes, but you know, you've heard of the doctrine of Christian discovery. So I want to I want to contest that because I've actually seen you talk about this, and, and I think you're mistaken in this way. The the bull of Alexander the Sixth, the Pope, Inter Cetera of 1493, directed towards the Spanish crown. The thing that needs to be understood there is the concept of papal arbitration. So today we have, for example, the United Nations, which is an institution. It's supranational and member states come together to work out differences, do peacekeeping. And so understanding the papacy, uh, it's indispensable to understand it as that supranational authority so where Christian uh, countries that were part of United Christendom went to the Pope to settle disputes. The bull, which, which you've referred to before in your talks, is the Pope arbitrating between Portugal and Spain, Correct. which were competing Compete. for which lands they could take, and Correct. were going to go to war. I, I, and then the Pope said, all right, you guys are fighting, then you just go here, you go here. But there were no rights of the natives. It's no, like, that's it's right, like, but that's, it's that's like, like it's, saying... It's like you know, Christian A and Christian B. I'm, I'm negotiating between the two of you, but you know what? All those those heathens out there, they don't count. But then look at, you can look at figures land. like Bartolomé de las Casas, who, who is a very fierce defender of the native rights from within the Catholic tradition. The but, history of the missionaries from California California to Florida is a very different history than yes. that of, of the conquest. The bottom line is that Christianity took over their lands, took over those people. I would, I would contest that. Forced to convert them. I would contest them. that the whole, uh, characterization. The Native American, you know, the Native American genocide was the worst genocide in history. In the well, history. If, if you look at North America, I would agree, but, but look at Latin Americans and, and look at the, the color of their skin. It's a mestizo uh, culture, yes. right, of mix where you can clearly see the native blood. You yes. can see white blood from yes. Europeans and you can see black blood yes. from, from Africans. Yes. And so actually, if, if you want to look at the record of, of the Catholic Church, I would, I would just lay before you the, the demographics of, of Latin America. They intermarried, they converted them, and the church took over the power. The power has been with the church. And, and, and countless people embraced Catholicism. Do you think that the Roman Catholic Church being the inheritors of huge amount of land and huge amount of whatever, it, it was all done nicely, nobly. There's a lot of a lot of history of, of corruption, of things going no, wrong. No, but do in you the feel West. that even now it's given fair share of power and wealth to the Latin American Christians today? Uh, I mean, Latin American Christians, you're you're sort of saying everybody, right? I mean, because because Latin America is is basically a Catholic. And it's, it's becoming less Catholic because there are many pe Pentecostal and so forth. Protestants coming uh, in. Coming in and, and people aren't that well catechized in the past couple of generations. Right. And so people take in the message of Protestantism. Right. Right. Look, at, look at Bolivia, look at Ecuador, look at any Latin American country. It's, it's sovereigns. Yeah. Why would your organization be against Mexicans coming in, they're Catholics, they have good moral values, they have good, they're good Christians. I'm, I'm not against Mexicans uh, coming the to the U.S. The, the, the question at, at stake is the question of, do borders matter? So does, does the question of legal immigration matter? For example, if, if people from uh, China or, or Pakistan or Bangladesh wanted to freely come into India, would you say that there's an immigration problem there? I, we, would, we, we would definitely discuss that based on its history. But here the history is very different. You know, California, Mex uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas were a result of a war with Mexico. The United States didn't yeah, own these. Yeah, of course. It was a war. It was not lots, a, lots it, of you know Florida. The construction not only of the West but the construction of the United States has been a violent thing. I think you want to draw a distinction. The the what, whatever the coming up of the history is. I'm personally very for Mexican immigration in the U.S. I'm a Puerto Rican Catholic myself, and and I know the 
Spanish-speaking world very well through, through familiarity of, of language and mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. And I think we only have everything to gain. I have been proposing for a long time a, a, a provocative idea that the best way to counter China is to assimilate Mexico. It would have to be a referendum. It would have to be like in Port, uh, Puerto Rico. It would have to be a referendum to see if what, what they would like. What kind of relationship? It doesn't have to be necessarily that become part of USA as three or four states, but it could be a very affiliate relationship. It could be open border relationship. It could be like the European Union, uh, free movement of people, but se separate sovereignty. Something like NAFTA taken to a higher level. Yeah, I would. I, if you look at the population of Mexico, it's about 40% of the population of the United States. So you would go from 100 to 140. It would give enough growth, enough jobs, enough development, enough industry for the next 20-30 years to build up Mexico into the same standard as the United States. And this would be a better way to compete against China in terms of cheap labor, bigger market. So rather than closing Mexico, I can see the war against China. This is what I described earlier of, of this idea of, of the you know, post-war consensus of everything is about freedom and openness. I think George H.W. Uh, Bush had a speech about what we need today is open borders, open trade, and open minds. Yes. Right? <laughs> so it's the, the quintessential openness motif. But I think what's happening right now is people feel that, uh, you know, openness is always a question of, of balance. Uh, and the church's Catholic social teaching is clear on this. Immigration, uh, you know, countries with the capacity and the resources have a duty to take in immigrants and refugees who are in need. But it also has a duty towards its own culture that if, that if there's trouble assimilating because there's so many people uh, coming in from a different culture, that it would be an injustice to the home culture to, to put itself in that situation. Something like Angela Merkel, for example, is something that many Catholics dispute back and forth of was it, was it Christian charity for Merkel to allow uh, the uh, you know, a million refugees in, in one hit in 2015, or was it uh, an imprudent move. That's the level in which the argument takes place rather right. than a question of being against Mexico, which of course is a, is, a, is a brother country because it's a Catholic and a Christian country to the United States. Yes. So uh, if you look at globalization in general, because the point I'm making is West, has, West is the product of its own globalization. West globalized, Romans globalized, in those days they would call it globalization, and they are, the West is thanks to the globalization of the Romans. Right. Whether it's violence, as I claim, or not violence, as you claim, the point is, it's the expansionism of, in whatever way, of Rome, Romans. Rome was understood as the oikumene, right, sort of the whole, the whole world. Yeah, yeah. The expansionism of, uh, of Christianity, the expansionism of Rome, be it peaceful, violent, or a combination, doesn't matter. If you stop that and reverse that, or just stop that, will the West even be able to survive? And let me ask you, tell you why. 45% of the S&P 500 companies, multinationals, 45% of their revenue comes from outside the United States. 45%. So, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, we are, there was once upon a time when it wasn't so. The United States was more self-sufficient. But the United States is not self-sufficient. 45% of, you know, you look at all these Apple or IBM or whatever company you want to do, a large percent of their revenue comes from overseas. You look at technology. Technology forces globalization, whether you like it or not, because if you got a platform, a technological platform, and you'll only market it within a certain boundary, and my platform, which competes against yours, is, is available all over the world, I will win. 
even in your country, even in your boundary, your platform won't do as well. You won't have the economy of scale. If you look at where are all, what made America great is because they, we could attract the best, brilliant, most brightest minds, immigrants all, from all over the world. If you're going to, are we going to stop that? So this business of we bring back borders. Okay, we bring back borders. Uh, there's a moral issue of Mexicans because this use, land used to belong to them at once upon a time. And we are saying you can't come back into your own land. What was your ancestral land at one upon a time? There's a moral issue to me. There's also an issue of pragmatics. Technologically, you can't really win if, against people like China if you close borders and close your technology. Uh, you will kill the base of employment in this country because the, the, so much of the jobs depend on, uh, on big companies that are 45% of their revenue comes from overseas. So can I say this? I think yeah. you're stating very eloquently the okay. nature of the crisis and right. the problem today right. is that the free market approach is one that has created unprecedented wealth right. in the world and, and growth and it, it has, has shown itself successful in that. But we're also starting to see some of its drawbacks, which isn't to say that it's totally bad. It's just to say that when, when culture gets attenuated by, by forces of deconsolidation, of freedom. You know, it's, it's very destabilizing for people to think, I've got a steady job and now I can raise a family and have kids and pass on my culture to the next generation. And then your boss comes along the next week and, and so tells you, you your, your job is being moved elsewhere. What, so what does that do to a culture? And these, right. are, these are the, some of the problems that are starting to surface. So do you think that the technology and the jobs have moved faster than re-educating re the workers? So That's a possibility. I'm not, I'm not an expert on sort of the policy side of, of um, you know, what should be done. I know there's, there's things like education programs where people try to send people to, to certain kinds of vocational schools and technical schools so they can learn But you cannot skills. stop the progress of technology. No, no, of there course are some, not. There are some uh, unavoidables. Yeah. Uh, one yeah, of them absolutely. is that there will be more information, there will be more uh, foreign travel. Uh, people will learn, get exposed to more ideas. And, and uh, if they don't like all these ideas, you cannot block them off. You cannot censor. It just won't work. Uh, otherwise, we'll end up being like the old Soviet Union. You're know, going back and trying to... They, they banned fax machines because, because it would bring <laughs> ideas that they didn't... Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I am totally on the same page on that. I'll, I'll look at it... I think we should look at it this way, is that the founding fathers of the United States, for example, were under no illusions about the, the dangers of democracy. They were good readers of the ancient Greeks and the Romans and understood both theoretically and in practice the dangers of a democratic system. And yet they chose to employ one. And so you can, you can look at a, a system and re both recognize its flaws and still be a champion. So I think we can, we can be for good economic policy while still saying, look, there's real crises that are coming about as a result. And is there a way that we can try to resolve them? Uh, the manifesto is against multiculturalism. It uses the word multiculturalism. But you know, the early church was multicultural. You, men you mentioned it yourself. I, I mean, there was Greek, there was Rome, there was all these people here and there, there was multicultural. So why is multiculturalism wrong today? Uh, multiculturalism, it depends on how you define it. So I would say that the presence of different cultures who can bring their own points of view to, to a common project is a supremely good thing. Uh, multiculturalism, as it's defined by the left, has come to have sort of these ideas of identity politics, which is actually sort of a, a, a balkanizing sort of thing of saying, well, you know, this racial group can't under, inherently can't understand this racial group, and this one's against that racial group. And so what we're against is this idea that we can't all unite in our common humanity and in our common uh, bond as citizens to work towards shared goals. But tell me one thing, part, people who are against multiculturalism often cite, you know, they don't want Spanish 
there's a, there's a whole movement. Uh, but what's wrong with uh, people who are not always speaking English being equally American and you know good values? Good, morality should not be linked to you know you got to be English speaking. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. So earlier you spoke about differences within conservatism, right? That not everyone has the same view. Right. Don't paint with the same brush. Right. So I think on that issue as well. Uh, I would say there's disagreement, and that's where one. I'm, I'm fluent in Spanish. I grew up speaking Spanish. It's part of my native culture. Um, Some Indian people want to pass on Hindi to or Tamil to their children, and Chinese want to pass yeah. on Chinese. Uh, why is it any morally inferior than British people who happen to take over English, you know, as a predominant language in this country? What I'm, is? I'm for that, and I don't. I don't think it's so. Wrong. There's no. There's, so multiculturalism, as in, you know, people eat different cuisines. Uh, and people uh, speak different languages. Uh, that kind of multiculturalism, they, they prefer different dresses. My jacket's different from yours. Why is that un-American? I, I don't think it's un-American. I think that's a misunderstanding of multiculturalism. Multiculturalism understood as everyone being enriched by their native culture yes. is, is a positive thing and something that, that? that Catholics especially... First things, would it, would it support multiculturalism of a kind which brings in good values? Yeah, of course. Of course, part of the problem in the U.S. is that there's a dearth of values, and we, we in America, we do the wrong kind of assimilation. We often assimilate people into a sort of nihilistic, valueless pop culture, rather than uh, bringing in this this idea of integration, of integrating the best that people bring from their home traditions of virtue. America was built on people, immigrants coming from various places, bringing all kinds of things, and early Christianity was like that. So I think this fusion, this, there's also this uh, Sorab Amari in his article. Who's, who's an Iranian who converted to Catholicism. But so he's against example. fusionism. He's against, he says he's against fusionism and he's against this big tent idea of Well, fu fusionism understood as free market and faith coalition of Bill Buckley, which you defined earlier, not fusionism in the sense of Culture. people from many countries coming okay. together to a shared project. Yeah, so he's, he's an Iranian who converted to Catholicism and is now part of our, our first things coalition. So I think that's, that's, that's an example of, of the, the, the positive kind of multiculturalism, of coming together as, as we do in the church, and the different kind which is saying, you don't really have a common humanity. You're, you're different cultures that can't understand each other and are, are totally separate and irreconcilable. I think right. that's the bad kind of multiculturalism right. that divides rather than unites. Mm -hmm.